Hello and welcome to The Crashdown, a podcast where I talk all about the television show Roswell. My name is CJ and today's episode is called The Balance. So I'm just going to do a quick recap of the last couple episodes and then we're going to dive right in. So as you guys probably remember, last week was called Heat Wave and there was a party. Where was that again? Oh right, the old soap factory. All our favorite characters were pairing off, Liz and Max kissed, Maria and Michael broke up, and Alex learned the truth about Isabel and the other aliens. But more importantly, two weeks ago, following a clue they found on that old pendant they found at Atherton's house, Max and Liz went to a local reservation where they ran into an older Aboriginal gentleman named Riverdog. He led them to a secret cave that was covered in, I guess, these symbols from Max's home planet. This is going to be really important this week again. So let's just get into it. The episode opens in another one of these great juxtaposition scenes between Liz and Maria. It seems like their relationships are on a seesaw, like a teeter-totter. Whenever one is going well, the other one's kind of sucking. So Liz is doing one of our favorite voiceovers. And she's talking all about how some days you just feel like everything in the world irks you. Like nothing's going your way. And then other days, it's like the world is singing to you. And you don't even mind having to clean the milkshake machine. And of course, there she is at the diner just polishing away with a dreamy look on her face, and then Maria stalks over like, oh, those guys at that table, they want their bacon crispier. Ugh, aren't people just the worst? And of course, these girls are feeling that way because one had a great dance at the old soap factory, and one had a horrible time. Of course, it's right at this moment that Max and Michael head into the crash down. Of course, Max wants to see Liz, but Michael's like, oh, do we have to eat here? And Max is kind of like, what's going on? He's like, oh, I think we broke up, but uh, it's really confusing. And then, of course, oh my gosh, I love it. Liz comes over, and she's poured Max's favorite drink, a cherry cola, on the house. And Maria slams one down in front of Michael, and she's like, that's a buck twenty-five. And Michael's like, I guess it's not that confusing. And he goes to kind of push his way out of the booth and storm off, but he spills this drink in the process, And when he does, Max kind of rips the papers that he had on the table away. And that's when Michael sees them. The drawings from the cave. And he freaks out. What's this? Why have you been hiding this? Why do I recognize this? This is just like that symbol we saw on the pendant. That swirl, that spiral that they all knew how to draw. And Max is trying to keep it low-key. Like, not right here, not now. But it doesn't seem like Liz is surprised. And that makes Michael even angrier. How come this girl seems to know more than he does? He ends up meeting up with Max and Isabel later, where they can properly discuss this. And he learns that Max has been hiding this for days, if not weeks. And he's really mad. Like, he has a right to know this, too. This is his history as well. At first, Max is trying to justify his behavior, and then he's like, no, This is exactly why I didn't tell you, because you'll go off half-cocked and do something crazy. Promise me, Michael, 
Promise me that you're not going to do anything. So he does. Michael promises. And Max seems relieved because he's getting changed. Wait, where's he going? And then all of a sudden his mom yells upstairs, Max, Liz is here. And Isabel's like, you have a date? He's like, no. Liz and I just both kind of felt like Chinese food. (laughs) How awkward is that? Smooth, Max. We just both kind of felt like Chinese food. And Isabel is like, then why are you changing your shirt? But he doesn't have time to deal with them, so he just leaves. Then Michael gets this look on his face. He's going. He's going to that reservation. He's going to find out with this river dog guy knows. He's going to see these caves for himself. And Isabel says to him, but you promised. Michael's response is just, I promise I'll be as trustworthy as Max. Because he hates secrets. He hates them. He understands that it's a necessity to keep his secret from the outside world, but he thought the three of them were in it together. And if Max is going to go off on his own, then he is too. So with that, Michael storms out of Max's room and heads straight for the reservation. When he gets there, he comes across an older woman who's basically just sitting in this, like, rocking chair outside. And Michael kind of yells at her, like, I'm here to see Riverdog. Where's Riverdog? And then Eddie shows up. Like, she's not deaf. She's just not answering you. In all honesty, in that moment, I probably wouldn't answer him either. Here's this white boy, shows up on your land, demanding to know where one of your elders are. Uh, no way. But Eddie, Eddie decides, hmm, I'll tell you. And he points him towards a tent where a sacred ritual is taking place. It's basically a sweat. And you can't go in there unless you've been invited. So Michael's like, invite me. Eddie does. He warns him, though, it can be pretty intense. When he gets inside, they're all sitting in a circle around a fire. It's obviously really hot because they all take their shirts off, and it's filled with smoke. Everyone there is chanting, and they're playing drums, and Riverdog is throwing these things into the fire to make it spark and smoke, and they're passing around this bowl. Each person takes a sip, and then they pass it on. The longer he sits in there, the more intense it gets. He starts choking on the smoke. And when the sparks flare up, he ends up having to run outside and guzzle down water. Eddie follows him and kind of laughs like, I warned you. But Michael has to see things for himself. Now with Liz heading out for her date with Max, Maria's left at the crash down. She's sitting at the counter with a plush alien doll and jabbing needles into it like a voodoo doll. That's when Alex comes in. And he is still shocked about the revelation from last week about these aliens. And he basically has two theories about what's going on here. One is that they've been brainwashed by a drug cult. And two, that he's stuck in some sort of Long, weird dream that just isn't ending. It's actually more of a nightmare, really. Maria tells him that's how she felt at the beginning, too. And he asks her, why do you think this is real? She basically says, well, you know, when Liz was shot and Max dissolved the bullet and healed her, that kind of made me a believer. Alex decides it's probably best if he just talks to one of them directly. You know, maybe that... 
Isabel. Maria just rolls her eyes and warns him not to get involved with aliens. They won't hurt you physically, but they're heartless. He won't be swayed, though, and decides to talk to her in one of the booths. He's got all sorts of questions for her. Well, not so much questions as his own theories about how the human body is so complex that not even an advanced alien race could be able to duplicate it. It's impossible. So Isabel is just like, you're right, fine, I'm not an alien then, I made the whole thing up. And of course he's like, okay, okay. But why on earth, wait, excuse the phrase, are you here in the first place? And she responds, to wipe out the earth one teenager at a time. These questions are ridiculous. She doesn't know. And she has more questions than he does. And again, she uses that metaphor of feeling insecure. That hasn't he ever felt like he couldn't open up to someone? That they would judge him for who he truly was? Well, that's how she feels all the time. And it's not just judgment she's worried about. She's worried about being turned into a lab rat. All she knows is that she came out of those pods a human. She feels like they do. She experiences pain like they do. It's all she's ever known. The only difference is that she can manipulate the molecular structure of matter. I love it. That's how they explain their powers. And she just picks up a ketchup bottle and turns it to mustard. And he's freaked out. And she tells him the only other thing that they know about their past are these symbols, and she shows him that piece of paper with those cave drawings all over it. And then basically asks him to stop staring. It's making her uncomfortable, like she's going to grow antenna or something. But he's not looking at her because she's an alien. He's looking at her because she's gorgeous and he's in love with her. Or at least in like. You know, like-like. He stops looking at her and starts looking at the symbols, but then she grabs the paper back, like, I think that's enough for one day. Meanwhile, Max and Liz are having a great date. They have gone for Chinese food, but this is, by far, one of the weirdest restaurants I've ever seen depicted on film. No joke, I do not get what the setup of this place is. The scene opens with them playing pool. Now, I have never, ever in my life been to a Chinese restaurant that had a pool table. I've been to plenty of pool halls, but never a Chinese food restaurant. And I live in a very, very Asian neighborhood. So I've seen hundreds of different types of Asian cuisine. And never once has there been a pool table in there. But they're playing and they're laughing and they're teaching each other how to play and they're flirting across the table. And they do that thing where one leans over the other and they hit the ball together and then they giggle. It's really cute, actually. <laughs> oh my goodness. But they get back to the table and they open their fortune cookie. You never see dinner. You see pool and then you see this fortune cookie. And Liz opens hers and she reads... This is the best night of your life. And Max is like, really? And she says, no, but it's still better than a broken clock is still right twice a day. Then he cracks his open. Ask a girl to dance with you. And Liz is like, really? And he's like, well, it depends on the answer. And she's like, yes. And he's like, then yes. And again, okay, this is smoother, Max. You weren't very good at covering with Isabel, but that was a pretty good move. 
and it covers your butt. If she says no, then you laugh and you read what it actually was. But she said yes, so they get up and they start slow dancing. In the middle of this Chinese food restaurant? What the heck is going on? Like, this is the weirdest restaurant in the world. Has it got a dance floor there? Or are they just standing in between the tables? Or are they just standing next to a pool table and dancing? If I did that in a pool hall, people would think I'm nuts. What is this restaurant? And there doesn't seem to be anyone else around. You never see any food except for these fortune cookies. What is this restaurant? It's so bizarre. It's even more crazy than the crash down. Anyway, as they're dancing, Liz happens to mention that her parents are away for the weekend. They went stargazing, apparently to see Venus in the morning sky. And Max is like, I thought it was right in front of me. And again, she laughs. And I'm like, okay, that's another pretty good line, Max. That was pretty smooth, pretty quick. Then they lean closer as they're dancing, and it's obvious that they're about to kiss again. But that's when Maria barges in. Something's wrong. They need to get back to the crash down. When they get there, they see that something's happened to Michael. He's been deteriorating ever since he came back. He's sweating and he's shivering, and he's almost collapsed. Maria tells them that he needs to eat. You starve a cold and feed a fever. I think I've heard that saying, but now that I think about it, I think I've heard it from this show. So is there anything medically to that at all? I don't think anyone's going to get better if they're not eating. But then if you have a certain kind of illness and you're sick to your stomach, you don't really want to eat that much. Have you guys ever heard this saying anywhere other than this show? Is there any nurses out there who know if there's something to that? Or if that's just like an old wives' tale that she heard from her mom who uh, has some pretty radical ideas about modern medicine. <laughs> I don't know. You should email me at thecrashdownpodcast at gmail.com or give me a shout-out on Twitter. It's the Crashdown Pod. I want to know, what do you do when you're sick? Maria's got some really good ideas through this whole episode, so let's keep an eye on that. She is actually really good with dealing with this situation. But we're not quite there yet. Michael is feeling a lot better. Now that he's had something to drink, he just wants to get out of there. He doesn't want all this attention. He doesn't want to seem vulnerable. But this has been scary. Alex even throws in the line, Echinacea always works for me. And he's got a couple of great throwaway lines in this. That they seem so forced in a way. And they don't really move the plot on at all, but they're just really funny moments. I love that Colin Hanks is getting to be part of this Scooby gang, if we're going to steal a Buffy reference and steal a Scooby reference. <laughs> I like that he's part of this crew now. Michael is putting his foot down, though. He just wants to go home. Isabel agrees, basically dismissing Alex and... Liz and everyone, and they all kind of pile out, leaving Liz alone with Maria. Liz is going to call it a night, but Maria's like, no, it's time for a gossip session. So they grab some ice cream and then talk about what it's like to date an alien. Well, not really date, hook up with. And Maria says that it's explosive. It is so passionate. And Liz has to agree with that. She admits to kissing after the party. You know, the one at the old soap factory. I'm never going to get tired of saying that, you guys. 
they both agree that it's like every cell in their body was heating up. Like it was set on fire, like it was awoken for the first time. Liz felt dizzy. She never felt anything like that when she was with Kyle. And Maria only has like an 8th grade reference, but she's like, no, Michael's the real deal. Maria wonders if Michael has ruined her for all other guys. And wonders if it's only that exciting because he is an alien. But either way, she has to warn Liz. Maria considers herself Teflon. Everything just slides off. She's like Michael. She can walk away. She's got these walls. She's got these layers. She already has systems in place to protect herself from emotional pain. But Liz... Liz is that looking-in-the-eye soulmate kind of thing. She's falling, and she's falling hard. She wants to make sure that her best friend doesn't get hurt. Her parents are still together. She's never really had a serious breakup. She's never really had these strong feelings for anyone. She doesn't know what to do. She doesn't even know what she's feeling herself. I think it's too late, though. Liz is in deep. She can't just shut off these emotions. She's invested. She just has to be prepared for whatever is going to come her way. And that's Liz. She thinks if she can plan enough, she can save herself from any problem. Later on, we cut to the UFO center. I guess Alex had dropped Michael off. But no, see, this, okay, this scene confuses me. Because every one of them, pretty much, except for Liz, ends up at this UFO center. Max is obviously working there. Isabel has taken Michael and Alex because Alex wanted to show her something. Ever since he saw those drawings, he's been thinking. And he noticed an exhibit at this UFO center about Machu Picchu. And he thinks that they're very similar. But Isabel's kind of over this. She's like, if, if there was something here, we would have found it already. None of this stuff is real. It's all a hoax. It's all garbage. It's a tourist trap. And she doesn't want to stay any longer. But Alex yells after her. But what if there's something here that could help you find your home planet? And the whole room goes quiet. Everyone's looking at her. And she is, like, so mad. And you can tell he's like, oh, crap. Oops, I did not mean to do that. But then Milton steps in. I do not appreciate your sense of humor, young man. We do not joke about this. And Alex apologizes. Of course, he was kidding. It was in bad taste. Isabel's just shooting daggers at him. And thank goodness for Milton. He recognizes Isabel as Max's sister and just considers this some punk teenage kid there to cause trouble. And the last thing Alex is is like some punk teenage kid. He's like the sweetest of sweetie pies. And he really did just want to help Isabel because he likes her so much. He wants her to be happy. He wants her to find a home. He wants her to have answers. But you are not going to get them at this UFO center. Luckily, or unluckily, there's another distraction. When Michael collapses, he literally falls to the ground. He's shaking. He's sweating again. And now his eyes are turning white. Max steps in and puts sunglasses on his face and quickly covers that, oh, he suffers from migraines, I better take him home. But this is not a migraine. This is something much worse. He rushes Michael back to the crash down because he remembers 
Liz's parents are away for the weekend. Here we thought maybe they were going to hook up because her parents weren't home, but no, they just needed a place to hide him. They can't at the trailer, they can't at Michael's house. Maria, her mom would definitely notice a strange boy in the house. But trusty Liz, her parents just leave her alone, and not only leave her alone, but leave her alone to run this diner. And we do get another scene. We get some more answers about how this diner is run. There's a throwaway line from Maria saying, To Liz, you're letting this manager thing get to your head when she's ordering everyone around. So yeah, like I said before, I thought maybe Liz would have to be a manager. That's why she's holding these meetings. But these parents let basically a 16-year-old girl stay at home alone and run their business? What the hell are these parents doing? Seriously, they are the most irresponsible parents in the world. No wonder they can have aliens under their roof. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Anyways, back to Michael. Michael's condition is getting worse. They get him up in a bed and he's burning up. Maria suggests an ice bath because he's running a fever of over 112. They say that's as high as the thermometer goes. And if that was a normal human being, I'm pretty sure that would mean that their brain is cooked. Like, no joke, like, serious damage. They're, like, cooking alive. None of them know what's happening, though. Everyone's kind of in a panic. Like we learned when Max was in the hospital, none of them have ever been sick before. And so now this? His eyes are almost completely white now. And they have no idea what they're going to do until he starts chanting. And that's when they realize it must have been something that happened to him on the reservation. So Max and Liz hop in the Jeep and go to find River Dog. When they get there, though, he's nowhere to be seen. And Eddie is pissed. They told about what they found there. That was a big no-no. Liz begs for help, and Max starts getting aggressive, like, Where's River Dog? I'm not leaving here until I see him. And all of a sudden, they are surrounded by this tribe. Max looks almost ready for a fight, but Liz just tells Eddie their friend is really sick, and he needs help. There's nothing he can do, though. River Dog isn't here. So Max and her decide to wait until he gets back. I mean, there's not much else they can do at this point. At the crash down, they basically kicked Alex out, so it's Isabel and Maria taking care of Michael. Isabel is very protective. It has been the three of them for so long, but Maria cares about Michael too. She's not going to let Isabel push her out, and she is going to help take care of Isabel too. She makes sure that she gets food, that she eats herself, but Isabel's kind of in a tailspin, especially once Michael starts seizing. They grab Alex, who has been obviously working at the crashdown. He's got an apron on. I guess now he's running the place. I don't think he's ever waited tables in his life, but now, like, he's the one that's running this business? How is this still open? Why is Maria not downstairs? Ah, this business should have failed ten times over already, just over the course of this show. It's ridiculous. On the reservation, Liz and Max are getting more and more impatient. They're feeling totally helpless, and both of them are just left to think about the worst that could happen. It leads Max to think about when he first met Michael, 
The first night they came out of those pods, he found Isabel first. They didn't know how to speak, but somehow they could communicate. They walked in that desert for hours, and they felt someone watching them. Michael had been there that whole time, but he was too scared to say anything, so he just watched them for a while. And when he finally did reveal himself, it was on the top of a rock, as if to say, Here I am! And Max is like, That's Michael, just what you'd expect. And it is. When you think about that, he puts on this big bravado show to seem scary, to seem confident, to seem in control. But he is filled with fear. That's the real reason why he doesn't get close to anyone. That's the reason why he's willing to run at the drop of a hat. Not because he's a tough warrior, but because he's still that scared little boy who is alone in the desert. When the three of them finally did all meet up, that's when they saw the headlights. Isabel instinctively reached for Max's hand, as if she knew everything would be alright if they were together. Max reached for Michael, and he knew that Michael wanted to reach back, but he couldn't do it. And that's why they were separated. Isabel and Max ended up with the Evans, and it would be three years before they saw Michael again. And he's so afraid. He's so afraid because... He can't help at all. What if this isn't something that's happened to him? What if this is just the end of their life cycle? What if this is how they die? And Liz is getting really freaked out, like, don't talk like that. We'll figure it out. He tells her he would understand if she had second thoughts. About them, about being together. He can see how afraid she is. And it's not fair to ask her to be with someone who might not be there the next day. Maybe they'll run, maybe he'll die, maybe he'll get sick like Michael, maybe they all will. She doesn't really get a chance to respond, though, because that's when they hear the chanting. They see that it's coming from that tent, and they go over to investigate. They see the circle, they see the fire, and that's when River Dog appears, and he, like, touches them on the shoulder. And I love this guy is always coming out of the darkness. He just sidles up on them, and then boom, there he is. Like, does this guy have magic? Or is it supposed to be, like, aboriginal people can move without making a sound, they can traverse the forest without alerting animals? I don't know. I just think that's really weird. It's always like, boom, there he is. Eddie has obviously told him that Michael got sick and tells Max that he needs to bring him here. They might not have much time. Apparently, that whole sweat was a test. When he was a small boy and that other alien was in their tribe, the elders thought he might be an evil spirit and decided to test him. When they invited him into that sweat, he reacted immediately, sweating and shaking and his eyes turned bright white. That's why when nothing happened to Michael right away, Riverdog assumed that he failed that test and they assumed that Max had told about this secret but he hadn't he'd shared it with a fellow alien and now river dog feels like it's his job to try and help if he can when that alien got sick he ran out into the desert the entire tribe was told not to follow but because river dog was a young boy he went anyway he followed the man to those very caves and that man shared a secret with him here is where we get a name. That man called himself a visitor. 
so River Dog gave him that name. In their language, Nacedo means visitor, so that's what he called him. And Nacedo shared his secret that there was a set of five stones. They held within them an energy that would restore balance. When Nacedo was in that heat, somehow it disrupted his natural systems. And if River Dog could fuse his own energy into these stones, maybe balance could be restored and Nacedo could live. So he helped him, and Nacedo did live. And now it's his turn to save Michael. He says that it's going to need all of them. And now all of a sudden there's like this circle on the ground and it's got all these lines leading into the middle where Michael is lying down. And they're going to have to do this ritual. But the whole time that Michael has been going through this fever, he's been flashing in and out of these visions. It keeps cutting to him in the desert. And these symbols are all over the ground. And... I kind of love the camera work in this scene because you get shots from above and then you get shots from below and a close-up of his face and then the whole landscape. And it's actually really well done because there's a couple of these scenes and it's exactly like a dream. One minute it's one way, the next minute everything has shifted and changed. Michael is seeing himself. Even though he's standing in one spot, he sees himself doing something across the desert. It's kind of trippy. He also notices, as day shifts into night, these stars moving across the sky until five of them line up in a V. Hmm. He also starts seeing himself wrapped in this web-like cocoon, covered in this white, stringy gunk, almost like a coffin, like a mummy. Then you learn... It's happening in real life, too. So Michael is lying in this cocoon in this cave, and Nisato has all of them around Michael in a circle. He tells them all that this ritual can save him, but it has risks. If you stay true to how you feel about your friend, your energy will infuse him. But if you allow yourself and your feelings to change, you'll get sucked in. You'll lose your body and your mind. They have to do it, though. They can't just watch as Michael dies. So they take their places and they take their stones. And then River Dog tells them all to drink from this bowl. And they ask what's inside, but it's just water. It's something that connects them all. So it gets passed around. Max drinks from it. Alex and Isabel drink from it. But when it gets to Liz... River Dog can see she's afraid, not for Michael, but someone else that she cares about. She's afraid for Max. What if this happens to him too? What if something else happens that she can't do anything about it? And River Dog tells her that she has to step back. If that's her mindset, she won't be able to fight this pull. She can't help. And he passes her by and gives the bowl to Maria. Then Maria looks fearful. But River Dog tells her she has to find her own path. Maria cares about Michael. She might be mad at him. She might be poking that voodoo doll. But she genuinely does. She really cares about him. And she's going to do what she has to do. And again, you get this other scene 
with Alex in this throwaway line when River Dog's like, you all must drink, Alex is like, even me? Like, why did you come if you didn't think you were going to help? Really? I think Isabel is probably stronger than you. It's not like you carried Michael. And now who's running the crash down? If Liz and Maria and Alex are gone, is it that Agnes woman? Is it Jesus the chef? Did they close down for the night? Do you think your dad would be pissed if you come back from a two-day vacation and on a weekend? Probably the busiest days for a restaurant you just closed? You're like, yeah, I just took off with some of my friends into the desert. Oh my goodness, this business, guys. This business is driving me crazy. Anyway, they're all in this cave. Alex is like, even me. River Dog's like, yes, you too. So he takes a drink. And then immediately they all just start chanting. And it's a different chant than what they were chanting before, and yet somehow they all know it. I would have liked one scene where Nisado's like, repeat after me. And maybe he has said that, but I want to see it. I need to see that scene where Nisado's like, this is the chant that will make him better. Not just immediately we all know. Like, Isabel and Max, I can kind of believe. But how was Alex supposed to know this, like, alien aboriginal chant? I... Logic, guys. I don't mean to harp on it, but I... I'm so curious. I'm so curious. I really want to do the chant, but I feel like I'll be super offensive, so I'm not going to. Anyways, the chant seems to work because Michael's chest starts glowing this golden color. And then one by one, the stones start to activate. And they've got this blue-gold shimmer coming off them in these really terrible 1999 TV special effects. (laughs) Um... But then we cut back into Michael's visions. He's in the desert, the symbols are there, but now this circle has appeared as well as all these people surrounding him. Alex is there and steps up first and Michael shakes his hand. Maria comes up and plants a big kiss on him. Isabel kind of kisses him on the cheek and hugs him. And Max looks like he's going to step forward to greet him. But then he looks over Michael's shoulder and Liz has stepped forward. I guess she's joined this ritual after all. But, like, way to be an attention hog, Liz. Like, you didn't let these two best friends reunite. It's like, oh no, Liz is here. Ooh, I love Liz. Screw my dying friend. Oh, Liz is here, guys. She did it. She made it. I love her. Ugh, okay. So, yeah. They're all there. Michael's kind of being pulled back. But then he's alone again. And then he sees himself again, and he's up on that rock, maybe that same rock where he presented himself the first time. But then he's also at the base of this valley, wrapped in this cocoon, and he's reaching down to himself, and then he's down there, and Max and Isabel are at the top of the cliff. And through this whole time, it starts jumping back and forth between teenage Isabel, Max, and Michael, and child Isabel, Max, and Michael. And I just have to say, Child Michael is so cute. He is such a cutie patootie. I love this kid. They show these kids in a couple of episodes, not very many. But I just, I think they did a really good job at casting this kid. He's kind of got that same face shape, that same hair, those kind of, he's got a little bit more buck teeth, but I I think Michael would have grown into his smile. And so Isabel and Max are standing at the top of this cliff reaching down to Michael. He has to break out of that cocoon and reach for them. And it's that symbol, that story that Max told earlier. He was too scared to trust them before. He was too afraid to go with them. 
but not anymore. He's reaching for them. He wants to be with them. He wants to get back to them. And it's these kids reaching down and these teens reaching down and this kid reaching up and this teen reaching up. And finally, Max and Michael lock arms and Max hauls him over the edge and they're back. The three of them walk hand in hand. And again, it's still flickering between these two different ages as they walk into the desert. Then we cut back to the cave and Michael breaks out of the cocoon in real life too. And they have a real life reunion between all of them. And then we have this line from Michael, which I guess is supposed to be prophetic and really deep, but it is like the most generic line in the world. And even from the flashes we saw, I think there was some interesting things. You get that Michael was on this journey, that he was tapping into something else while he was still out. But he just goes, I went someplace. I saw things. Like, <laughs> okay, sure you did. You hallucinated because you had a fever of over 112, which is like impossible. Anyway, Max is just like, but you came back. Michael tells him, no more running. Not anymore. And I like that he shifted. That's a little scary. Because if you think of how an animal acts, it's usually fight, flight, or freeze. If he's not running and he's not freezing, what's Michael going to do now? But the point is, he's made his choice. He decided to trust them. He decided that he wanted to be part of that family. He's going to stick with them no matter what that means. And he did see something because he gathers the rocks up from everyone in the circle and walks over to this cave wall where there's these holes and he slides the rock into these holes. And I don't know if it's activated because he's the one doing it or it was in a special order, but I've got to think if you're River Dog and you've got these stones and there's these perfect holes in the wall, wouldn't you have put them there? Wouldn't you have been like, hmm, I wonder if these fit here? Anyway, he tells them it's a map and it's that V shape. It's those stars he saw in the sky. This is their solar system. This is their home. One of these are the planets that they're from. Liz is still wigging out a bit. She's still freaked out by the ceremony. She's freaked out that they're learning more about where they're from. When they didn't know anything, it was like, he could be a normal person. But now, seeing what Michael just went through, seeing these drawings, seeing the magic that's in these stones, she's starting to realize he really is not of this earth. And then it cuts to our closing scene. It's another voiceover. She's writing in her diary on that rooftop terrace. And she's reflecting about the day about how she always used to be that person that would come through in a crisis. She knew what to do, and she got it done. But today, she was powerless. She couldn't plan for that. She had no idea what to do. And that was terrifying. Liz loves to be in control. And there's nothing about this situation that she has any say in. That's when Max shows up. He's climbing the ladder on the side of the building, so his head just, like, pops up behind her. And he wants to talk about what's happened. This has given him a totally new perspective. He wants to check in on how she's doing, but he needs to tell her that he can't pretend to be normal anymore. Since they kissed, he's been off balance. 
she's all he could think about. But that's not real. That's not life. He has so many other things going on that he needs to face. What she was feeling in those caves, how she was scared, that was true. That was real. They don't belong together. His way of life is so different from hers. They just, they can't pretend to be this thing anymore. They can't pretend like none of this exists. Liz tries to argue with him. No, this is the only real thing I've ever felt. How can that be wrong? Max says, though, he has to take a step back. Just like in that cave, it's not until you take a step back that you realize that you get to see the whole situation and make the right choice. Liz is devastated. She doesn't want to argue with him. She wants to give him what he needs, but she does not want this to happen. And she asks him, how can I be the happiest I've ever been and the saddest I've ever been all at the same time? And he tells her, I think that's love. And is it? Should love be that devastating? But if, if you do love someone that much, it is physically painful not to be with them. There's not much she can do, though. If he wants to take a break, there's nothing you can say to make someone be with you. So she basically just has to give in, like, if that's what you want. And he says, that's what I need. So he climbs back over and he starts to climb down the ladder. And Liz rushes over and saying, you know, one more thing. And she kisses him. She just wanted to remember what it felt like. And then one of the last lines of the episode is Max saying goodbye and Liz saying goodnight. And then it pans up to the stars and you see that V in the sky. But I love the difference between that, goodbye and goodnight. It's like goodnight and good luck. But seriously, he's trying to put distance between them. He's trying to end this. He likes Liz, but he likes her too much to drag her into this over and over again. He has no idea what's around the corner for him, so he's not going to put Liz in that danger. But Liz doesn't want this to be over. He asked for space for now, and she's clinging to that for now. So she just says goodnight. It's a little heartbreaking. Anyways, that I think that about wraps up this episode. It wasn't quite as crazy or wacky. There weren't quite as many big moments as there were last week. But it still kind of hit me. You know, the gang is all together now. Liz and Max are off again. Maria and Michael's relationship is turning back around again. That flip-flop of the two. But I'd love to know what you thought of this episode. Did you like it? Do you like when they're at the reservation? Do you like that they're learning more about their past? Do you want to know more? I want to know more. I want to know more about these powers. I want to know more about these language. Have any of you guys studied any of these symbols? Have any of you ever written them out or bothered to look it up? I haven't so far, but I would love to hear what you guys think. So email me at thecrashdownpodcast at gmail.com. And if there's anything you want me to say on the podcast or questions you want to ask me or that you want me to ask you guys or any facts or trivia that you find interesting, send it my way. But until then, guys, not goodbye, good night.